Hey, everybody, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Preacher Boys podcast. I make this show for you, and I hope that you really enjoy it. I have a lot of people that ask me how they can support the show financially, and you can do that by heading over to patreon.com slash preacherboys. You're going to get access to exclusive content, including early releases of episodes. I've got a couple episodes right now that have been released at least a month early over on Patreon. You've got access to things like unique merch, depending on what tier you join, and you get access to some behind-the-scenes content that I'm posting within the group. So head over to patreon.com slash preacherboys and become a member over there today. Every single supporter helps make this show a little bit more possible, especially as I continue to add additional episodes and content every single week. Thank you so much for tuning in. Let's get back to the show. Hey guys, before we get into the episode at all, I just want to remind you guys to visit PreacherBoysDoc.com if you haven't already and click on the tab that says Ryder versus Hiles. That gives information about a massive lawsuit that has been filed against David Hiles, uh, First Baptist Church of Hammond, Indiana, and Hiles Anderson College. This is a groundbreaking story. It is one of the biggest stories to come out of that school since the Jack Scott arrest in 2013. And so you definitely are not going to want to miss it. There's a lot of information there about how you can get involved, uh, what actions we can take as a community uh, against the things that have been covered up by this college. And so I really hope you guys will check out that episode and I'll continue to provide more updates on social media as they arrive, uh, news articles and so forth. So if you want to keep up to date with that case, just visit PreacherBoysDoc. That's PreacherBoysDoc.com. Link is in the show notes as well. All right, here's the introduction. Trigger warning. This podcast contains descriptions of various abusive situations. Listener discretion is advised. You are listening to the Preacher Boys Podcast, a podcast shedding light on decades of mental, physical, and sexual abuse within the independent fundamental Baptist movement. The testimonies shared on this podcast are told from the personal experience and perspective of the survivors. Not all legal outcomes are known or final. Any suspect is presumed innocent until proven guilty in the court of law. To find more information about the Preacher Boys podcast and upcoming documentary, visit PreacherBoysDoc.com or connect on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter with the handle at PreacherBoysDoc. Now, here is your host, Eric Skwarzynski. Hey, what's up, guys? You're listening to another episode of the Preacher Boys podcast. Now, I'm going to give this episode the disclaimer to end all disclaimers, okay? This episode gets into some pretty controversial topics. Um, I mean, I guess the whole show is about controversial topics, but this one specifically gets into politics a little bit. Now, this episode is not about convincing people of my political views. Uh, I mean, this show is not convincing anybody of any of my views. Uh, this show is about objectively looking at facts about abuse and what causes it. And one of the um, topics that uh, can really get associated and intertwined with uh, the IFB theology is political positions. And so um, this episode, we do dive in. I do share a little bit of my political views, but trust me, there's no way to know from this episode where I stand on every single issue, uh, nor does it matter where I stand with it, because like I said, that's not the point. What I do want you to take away from this episode is 
the fact that we should have open dialogue with people that we disagree with. We should allow ourselves to spend time with people who don't live in the way that we think that we would want to live or the way that we think people should live or the way that people um, believe the way that we should believe and so on and so forth. And so this episode is really just a conversation between me and a buddy. I'll introduce him in a second. Uh, Really just talking through some things that we've seen within the independent Baptist movement that uh, are concerning to us. And he speaks really like every guest to his personal perspective and really just talks about uh, what his belief systems are, what it is that he uh, had issues with. So he may present some strong political positions that you may not agree with. That's fine. Uh, we trust me, I've had many conversations with him where we don't necessarily come eye to eye on every single topic, but that's fine. Um, I think what's important is to understand that we can gain something from anybody and we can learn from people of many different faiths, backgrounds, political beliefs, and so on and so forth. And so uh, we do talk about that. We talk about racism quite a bit in this episode. So there's a lot of hot button topics uh, in addition to the normal hot button topics that we usually discuss. And so I just want to give you guys a heads up to expect that. Uh, Please don't tune out because we do get to a couple of really good points here at the end. So even if it doesn't necessarily represent uh, your political views, what's being said, uh, just keep an open mind as to what the the main messages we're trying to get across. Uh, this episode is a lot less formal than the normal episodes, and that's because I actually know this guest pretty well, and we're actually pretty good friends. Uh, the guest today is Joe Tyndall, and he is from. I can't say it the way he says it with that beautiful accent. He is from Louisville, Kentucky. Sorry, Joe. Uh, Like I said, this is a much more laid back episode. I have known Joe for probably five or six years now. Uh, We actually met in an independent Baptist church. I was working as a videographer shooting promotional materials for the church. Uh, Actually a pretty cool place. Um, And he was attending at the time. And so we met, we kept in touch, we developed a friendship discussing politics of all things, uh, which is usually something that drags people apart. Uh, But when we first met, we didn't believe similarly at all regarding a lot of topics. And uh, we're definitely in different places in our journey, both politically, spiritually. And I mean, like anyone, we have things that we're different on, but uh, we've still maintained a friendship. We have really cool conversations here and there. And so uh, he's just a really good dude and uh, someone that I wanted to talk to on the show because he is a great thinker. Uh, He's a really smart guy, intellectual guy, good friend of mine. And I think he's just significant because him and I kind of similar journey as far as time frame, leaving the independent Baptist movement. And so, uh, like I said, this episode really does. We start we're we're just a little more uh, casual on this episode, really get into uh, just a couple topics that maybe we wouldn't necessarily go into with a first time guest. Uh, so it's just strap in, um, strap in for this episode. Uh, like I said, this episode is not about persuading you of a certain position or ideology. It's just asking uh, everyone who's listening on the left, the right, and everywhere in between to look at the things that bother them and say, why does that bother me? And so I really hope you guys enjoy this episode. Um, you know, like I said, this isn't your typical episode. If 
you don't want to hear a conversation. I know that the world is saturated with political conversations. If you do not want to hear a somewhat political conversation, just go ahead and jump to the next episode when it releases or uh, re-listen to a past episode. But if you're willing to hang in there with us, I swear there are some good takeaways you can pull from this. I know that there was a couple uh, moments for me that were really helpful. And so I hope you enjoy the episode. I know that's a long disclaimer, uh, but I know with politics being a touchy subject, I just want to give that heads up right there. And so... Anyway, uh, just want to let you guys know that. So go ahead and uh, jump into the episode. All right, Joe. Thank you so much for joining me on the Preacher Boys podcast. Absolutely. No problem, my friend. Perfect. So can you just really quick, I gave a little bit of uh, background in the introduction, but can you give our audience uh, your introduction to the Independent Fundamental Baptist Movement? Yeah, sure. So I am from Louisville, Kentucky, and I grew up in the independent Baptist church. Um, from the moment I was old enough to remember, we went to church and, um, we went to church every time the doors were open Sunday morning, Sunday evening and Wednesday evening. And, um, yeah, I went and all the way up until probably, man, I guess four or five years ago. Um, but just, just for context, um, the independent Baptist church that I grew up going to was not the typical, like what you've talked about a lot on this podcast, the Hiles type, the like right. really heavy dress standards. Um, that was not a thing at my church at all. People just wore okay. whatever they wanted. Um, it was very, I guess you would say, um, very blue collar. Um, I, I don't know how else to describe it. It was very like working class, blue collar, um, simple type church. So people just came however they were dressed and it didn't, it wasn't really dress standards weren't a thing at all at my church. Um, but we did have some independent Baptist earmarks. Like my church was KJV only. Okay. They didn't beat you over the head about it, but it, but we were definitely KJV only. Um, we were the pre-tribulation, pre-millennial. Kurt Cameron. Yes, very much that. Um, really big into Southern gospel music. Um, I don't know that you've talked a whole lot about Southern gospel in this podcast up to this point, but that's really big in the independent Baptist world. And I was, and my church was hip deep in that stuff. Well, it was, it was essentially a safe substitute for rock music. It was music that can make you feel good without being demonic. <laughs> right. I mean, for, for your listeners that aren't familiar with Southern gospel music, um, it's basically the Statler brothers. Right. Um, or the Oak Ridge boys. That's Southern gospel. I mean, it's just not country. It's just with a, um, what well, is country? It's just with, it's just um, religious themed, you know, I guess. Right. I'm singing about Jesus or whatever. Um, so I grew up going to independent Baptist church, but in, when I was, when I went to sixth grade in middle school, my parents didn't want me to go to a public school anymore. I went to public school from, um, for elementary school. And that was for religious reasons or for education or what was the main driving force there? Um, okay. Well, I was going to get to this a little bit. Um, (laughs) sorry. No, it's fine. Um, Honestly, because of racism. Really? Um, okay. Oh, absolutely. I, the 
overwhelming majority of Christian schools in America exists because parents don't want to send their kids to school with kids of color. That's super interesting to me from growing up in Southern California. Um, I mean, obviously Southern California and Kentucky could not be any more different. Um, but, um, you know, I went to school where like being white was like the minority. So it's interesting hearing it from that perspective. So that's, that's definitely different. So let me offer a little more context. Yeah. So I would say in this part of the world, obviously it's going to be different. The, the Bible belt. Yes. Where racism is most prevalent, the Bible belt. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's very bad. I, so, I mean, you can, you can look at like the origins of Christian schools throughout, um, throughout this part of the, of the country and probably the Midwest too. Um, and they were all started in the sixties or seventies, you know, after Brown versus board, um, because just, just flat out racism. That's all it is. There's no two ways about it. And my parents were afraid, um, of just what might become of me if I had gone to a public middle school and high school. So, um, so they put me in a Christian school, but also a lot of the people that were going to our church, they were sending their kids to this Christian school at the time too. Now this Christian school was, they did have some of the dress standards. That was the first time I encountered that, um, girls having to wear skirts, um, that was a completely new thing to me. Um, they kind of did hit you over the head with the King James only as a little bit. Okay. Um, and so by the time I was like 18, you know, and graduating high school, I was pretty bought in and all that right. mess. So, so at the, at the peak of your involvement being bought in, if someone was to say, describe your church or school, or I guess even your faith to me, what would you have said? How would you have pitched it to them? Uh, we are independent, fundamental, King James only, Bible believing Baptist. It's probably something like that. I'm assuming your position would have been one of like our way or the highway. I'm the best. Was there a, was there a superiority complex that you took on yourself? Totally. Um, one of pride. Um, very. I mean, an immense amount of like pride, and not in a good way. Um. I'm sure I was probably a pain in the butt to be around um, when it came to talking about this stuff. Um, but so I mean, I was a big hypocrite too, you know, cause I, I just, it was only, I don't know. Yeah. Well, I don't know. I just, I was, I was very proud and I had really strong opinions about King James only or whatever, but then right. I would go listen to <laughs> uh, Tupac, you know, I just, right. I, I was a hypocrite in every way imaginable that's actually interesting. And it's funny every time I have one of these conversations, like I start thinking about myself and growing up and like one of the worst features on Facebook is, and it's getting better the further out I go, but the, uh, the memories section where it shows you what you said six years ago and the, the cocky, arrogant, like ultra righteous, like tweets and Facebook posts I put out as a teenager were like awful. And, um, it's something interesting about like, like the hyper fundamentalists are kind of like teenage boys <laughs> in the sense of, you know, it's, I have really strong opinions and I'm going to yell them at you and I'm going to rebel against anyone who doesn't agree with me. And the quickest way to take them down is just by mocking them like relentlessly and showing how much better I am. And so like, when I think about how like 
horrible I was as a teenager, I think that the fundamentalist aspect definitely fueled into a lot of that emotion. Um, I, I hadn't really drawn that connection until you said that. I thought that was interesting. Um, yeah, no, I, that's, that's definitely how I would have, I would describe myself in that, in that, in that age group up until probably the age of 30, I was pretty loud and arrogant and annoying when it came to that kind of stuff. So, so how would looking back at yourself now, just in a few words, like how would you describe, how would you describe who you were then now? I know that's a, that's a deeper question, but, uh, so when I was like 18, 19, 20 years old. Yeah. When you were completely bought in, um, I, I want, I'm curious what the, what the juxtaposition is now with how you view who you were then versus who you thought you were at that time. So, um, how I, how I would describe myself, um, now, I mean, so how my 36 year old self would have described my 19 year old self. I would say that my 19 year old self was very immature um, had no knowledge of scripture at all. No, I mean, I didn't know any theology at all. Right. Um, uh, annoying, know it all, um, and uh, stubborn. Um, drew lines in the sand on things that I couldn't even, I couldn't argue if you made me argue because I just didn't, I had no knowledge of theology. I mean, it wasn't until like, even though I grew up in church and I went to a Christian school, I, and I called myself a Christian. It wasn't until I was like 26 years old that I learned that Jesus was God. Right. I mean, like the, one of the most core doctrines of Christianity, right? like the, the doctrine of Christ. I, I, I don't, and, and I didn't know that. I just, I just assumed you know, that he was God's son, because that's what John 316 says, but not like the actual like orthodox, you know, teaching of like the doctrine of the Trinity and the doctrine right. of Christ and all that stuff. I had no idea. And I, I had, I knew I had no knowledge of like real Christian doctrine at all. Zero. Right. Um, until I was probably 25, 26. And I really started studying. And that's when a lot of that stuff started to come unraveled for me um, about that age. So um, that's when you say that stuff came unraveled, are you saying your, those characteristics of your personality or your faith in the independent fundamental Baptist kind of mindset? That's right. Yeah. So, the, so when I was 24, I moved to England um, and I lived in London for a little over four years. And was this just for work or was this a, was this a religious move? Was this a, church related thing or was this totally just for for work nope my ex-wife is british so i'm divorced okay. um, I, I have a girlfriend now but um my my ex-wife she's from the united kingdom so okay um we met when i when i was like 21 or something but we uh lived in london from uh 2008 to 2012 so a little over four years okay um and when I moved there, it was, it was a culture shock for me because, A, there are no King James-only churches in the UK. Right. Um, B, any conservative evangelical Christian in the United Kingdom is going to be Calvinist. Right. They just are. I mean, then there's no, you're not going to find otherwise. Um, and uh, 
another thing is they, they just aren't as loud and from the pulpit. It's, it's a lot more, the teaching is a lot more like quiet and like, like, like the preaching, sorry, not the teaching, but I guess same thing, but the preaching is a lot more like quiet and refined instead of like running around hollering. It's more scholarly or philosophical than it is topical and angry. (laughs) You get, yes, totally. Um, The churches are a lot smaller because religion is more or less dying over there. Right. Um, So there was, there were a, there was a rude awakening in some respects. So I I was encountered with a lot of like reform theology, no KJV onlyism, no Southern gospel music that doesn't exist. Um, and like dress standards isn't really a thing. They don't really know what that is or care. Um, maybe a few people here and there, but not really. Right. Um, and that's when it all really started to come unravel for me because I had to like sort of deal with these things for the first time in my life. Like, um, okay, what do you mean you're not King James only? What, like, why do you use the NIV? That's like the worst version you could possibly use. Right. <laughs> and then like, oh, um, and then, you know, you, you were there to educate them on their, <laughs> where they were wrong. Absolutely. And it was, uh, it was, t- that's the most American thing ever is I'm going to go over and tell you like, this is how we do things. <laughs> well, and that was the other thing I was going to say was, you know, when I was in the U S uh, every church I attended was so like, just worshiped America. Right. Looking back on it, there, there is no God worship. There's no Christ worship. It's all worship of like America, American culture, Christian family values kind of thing. Yes. American family values, I should say. Yeah. American family. That's right. So it's, it's, it's like, I, I would actually describe the independent fundamental Baptist movement as, as uh, people worship rural white American culture. I, I have something I want to get back to with that specifically that I was thinking about talking to you about. So, okay, well, we'll circle back to that then. But, and, and but of course that does not exist in the UK because a, they're not in America. Um, and it just, it just doesn't exist. Like they actually are studying theology and, you know, the people that actually care. And so that's when I started to sort of like a lot of my beliefs started to sort of come unraveled, but I was still arrogant. I was still annoying and I still knew it all. Right. Um, it's just, I now knew different things and I was now studying different things. Does that make sense? Right. No, definitely. Uh, so, so what was it? I mean, so it seems like you're, it wasn't a sudden realization that, you know, Oh, I had it wrong. It was more of a gradual, just maturing, I guess is the right word to say is a just development and slow learning. Um, but what was it that kind of triggered that final decision to like leave the IFB? Was it, was it just a gradual, like now I'm just kind of separated. What was it that kind of was like, okay, that's enough. I'm doing something else. So I, um, yes, it was gradual for a, for a long period, but I, um, heard a sermon online that blew my mind. And it was by, you're going to laugh probably, it was by Paul Washer. Okay. And it was, uh, what is the sermon that he, he preached? The shocking or, um, um, oh, I, man, I'm going to lose my reform card. I gotta, I gotta look at it. the, the, sh- oh, let me look at it while you talk. <laughs> okay. Well, I heard that. I don't know how that came across my, 
laptop. I have. Well, it came across every evangelical's laptop at some point about three years ago. Yes, it did. But I wasn't really like, I still, I mean, you have to remember, I was still dealing with a lot of things. And I was. Paul Washer's shocking youth message, by the way. Yes. Which is like super viral. I want you to know that the greatest heresy in the American evangelical and Protestant church is that if you pray and ask Jesus Christ to come into your heart, he will definitely come in. You will not find that in any place in Scripture. What you need to know is that salvation is by faith and faith alone in Jesus Christ. And faith alone in Jesus Christ is preceded and followed by repentance. A turning away from sin, a hatred for the things that God hates and a love for the things that God loves, a growing in holiness and a desire not to be like Britney Spears, not to be like the world and not to be like the great majority of American Christians, but to be like Jesus Christ. I don't know why you're clapping. I'm talking about you. I didn't come here to get amens. I didn't come here to be applauded. I'm talking about you. We talk so much about being radical Christians. Radical Christians are not people who jump at concerts. Radical Christians are not people who wear Christian t-shirts. Radical Christians are those who bear the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Yes, and I... I just, I heard, I listened, I sat down and listened. I, I can remember vividly. It was a Saturday morning and my wife had gone to work. Um, and so I was just sitting at the house by myself and that came across and I, I hit play. It's about an hour long or something. I don't know. And I thought to myself, I have never heard preaching like that in my entire life. Never. Right. And this now this is good preaching. I don't know exactly what is right about it, but I know this is right. And this is what I want to be a part of. And if this is reformed Calvinist theology, then this is what I want. And I, it was from that moment on, I was completely bought in. I started to read all of the like um, reformed theologians out there. And I started to teach myself theology. I started to like, get materials from Ligonier Ministries. And I started to learn every single doctrine I could possibly learn. The doctrine of scripture, the doctrine of um, Christology, soteriology, eschatology, all that stuff. And that I started to really become a student. R.C. Sproul became my, um, that was my go-to. I, 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 I fed off of R.C. Sproul. But the Bible teaches us that we are fallen creatures who still choose and make decisions, but we make them in the context of our prison of sin. So I was probably 25 or 26. Okay, so when I was 25 or 26, uh, we found a church in London. And it was, at the time, it was a good church. But the, a missionary, uh, the guy that was a pastor of the church was an American missionary. And he was a Hiles missionary. Okay. He was not from Hiles Anderson, nor was he from uh, First Baptist in Hammond, Indiana, but he was of that ilk. Does that right. make sense? He was a Fort Lake graduate or just someone who was a devotee to their kind of teaching? Yeah, yeah that, type, that type of teaching. Okay. Yes. 
I don't want to name names or where he went to church or anything. Cause as far as I'm aware, he's a good dude and I don't want right. to disparage him in anything. Um, so when I first started going to that church, um, I was butting up against him with these kind of things, but you know what, honestly, we sort of like, you know, what's the Bible say? Iron sharpeneth iron. Right. We sort of reformed together. And he like stopped being KJV only. He stopped, he lowered, he like no more dress standards. Um, we were sort of learning Christianity together. Right. Even though he was this American missionary living in London. Um, I just, I just felt like I had to mention that because that was really important. And underneath him, I became a deacon of that church and I start, I was preaching at that church. Um, not all the time, but on occasion, whenever he needed me to preach, I would fill in and preach on a Wednesday night or a Sunday morning, Sunday evening. Um, I started to lead lead Bible studies. I started to lead small groups and I was convinced that I was going to be a pastor. Right convinced of it. And I thought if that's, if that's true, I need to like really consider Bible college and I really need to consider a lot more like studying and like learning theology. Fast forward to the age of 28, we decided to move to the United States and we find a church here in Louisville that is, um, independent fundamental Baptist, but, um, and this is where, um, where we connected. Yes. Where we connected. That's right. Um, it's an independent fundamental Baptist church, but the leadership at this church is really, really, really good. Right. I have a lot of time for them. I still have a lot of time for them. I think they're good people. I think they are doing the right thing. Um, generally. And, um, I, I got involved in this church. I got plugged in and I was full bore plugged in and they, leadership there um the i remember the pastor telling me that he wanted to he looked up to martin luther and how martin luther wanted to reform the catholic church from the inside out and he looked at himself as like not as martin luther obviously but as like (laughs) as like an inspiration though like right it's possible to make this effort correct and he wanted to help reform the independent baptist church and I have to, I have to say, not to interrupt you, but I have to say that that I know a couple guys like that who I truly respect and love and admire. I mean, very few. I can count on like one hand the amount of guys that have that mindset. And there is something noble about that idea, although I disagree with the potential of it myself, um, just because of the foundational teachings of a lot of a lot of it. Um, there's not, there's not really much to reform it back to It kind of is what it's been. Um, but I am fascinated by the guys who are staying in there and trying to turn the ship back around in whatever direction they, they feel convicted to do so. So I think that, uh, that small handful is an interesting group. It is. And so, um, I think you did the podcast on the, uh, what was the Presbyterian podcast you did? Uh, the true Presbyterian with, uh, Hutch. Um, I'm so sorry, Hutch, (laughs) but, uh, with Hutch, (laughs) that guy. Okay. So that guy, uh, I listened to that by the way. Well done. You did a good job. And and, thank uh, you. But he knows his stuff. Yeah, he does. Um, and he said something that is correct. He said the vast majority of independent Baptist churches um, tie themselves to the educational institutions. 
The phrase, of course, independent, leads one to believe that these churches have no association with one another whatsoever, and to an extent that's true when it comes to church government. However, there are what I would call camps in the the independent fundamental Baptist movement. Um, So you've got your, at least in in the way that I kind of organize it in my head, is around the, the educational institutions. So you've got your Pensacola Christian College folks, you've got your Ambassador Christian College folks, and and so on and so forth. So sort of, I was part of an independent Baptist church in high school, um, and they were the uh, Phil Kidd, um, who was the uh, Peter Ruckman, Pensacola Christian College, like kind of that end of the... So you didn't get a team version of it. (laughs) Say again? So you didn't get a team version of it. No, no, I didn't. I got the the full dose. (laughs) Right, like... This church is out of the Hiles Anderson College camp, or this church is out of the. Yeah, I, I explain it to people it's like the mafia. You have different dons that are everywhere, and then you have these little families that have territories, and they all hate each other. <laughs> they all hate, I mean, they do. They absolutely despise one another. Even split in Southern California, like Golden State Baptist College hates West Coast, but it's because they see them as competition for the very few IFB that are spread out throughout California. It, it is really interesting, isn't it? How like how much they hate each other. Um, you know, even Richard Dawkins has observed that. I've list, right. I've read like some of his stuff. He's observed that oh, like a lot of Richard Dawkins critiques. I'm listening right now to um, again not to sidetrack, but I'm listening to Richard Dawkins' book. Why am I blanking on everything, man? I don't know. Is it the uh, God delusion so, or something? So, um, it's not the God delusion. Well, it's one of his main. Bo- it's one of his main books. Okay, and I really am reading it. I sound like I'm making up. I'm reading Richard Dawkins' book, but I'm going through it. You know what it is, dude? It's audio books are so hard to remember what you're reading because you just press play. You're not staring at every page. But anyway, um, but anyway, I'm, I'm listening to one of Richard Dawkins' books right now, and it's actually one of his newer books. It's the one he just promoted on Joe Rogan recently. Um, but I, I'm listening to it, and a lot of his critiques um, about Christians. I staunchly agree with, although I disagree with some of his, uh, or a lot of his conclusions about the existence of God and so forth, his, his critiques about American evangelicalism specifically is right on the money for most of the book so far. And it's, a, it's pretty interesting. Um, and so, um, and there's probably some Christians who do listen to the show. I mean, we don't get into theology much on the show, so I don't know how many Christians are listening, but I'm sure some people will be mad at me for even saying that. Um, but, but yeah, um, you anyways. can't compliment someone like that. No, what I was just going to say was, um, so the church that I, that I started attending when I moved back to the U.S. was definitely from the Pensacola Christian College camp. Right. Um, now, with that in mind, they were also really heavy historically, not like at that point, but historically were really big into Peter Ruckman. Right. Which is, which I think the, in a previous podcast is by far the most extreme KJV onlyist. Yeah. Ruckman is probably the closest. I mean, he, yeah, he was a weird dude. <laughs> He's he, yeah. Um, and he held to some very interesting positions that even IFB people didn't agree with for the most part. That's a very distinct camp. Our first boys that ever saw UFOs were fighting in Korea. They call them Foo Fighters. They noticed up there fighting the planes. Sometimes the things would show up in the air flying by them that didn't look exactly like planes. When a fella gets near one of these things, something goes wrong with his uh, uh, flashlight. He's got a battery. Something goes wrong with his mining cap. He's got a battery in his head. Something goes wrong with his ignition. 
Anybody got near one of these things in a car, something went wrong with the radio. Anybody got near one on an airplane, something went wrong with the radio. Something goes wrong with electricity. I have never trusted electricity either. I think it's of the devil. If you don't believe in demons, you ought to get in tape work. If you don't believe in demons, you ought to get in recording Christian tapes. And you'll believe in them before you get through. That is, it's like a subculture of a subculture, right. for sure. They, they, so a lot of the church had been going there for decades. And um, they still held staunchly to this, like, not all of them. I would say half of them mm-hmm. still held staunchly to this, like, Peter Ruckman theology, which is just absolutely, completely insane. And so the leadership at the church, while earnest in their um, desire to reform, that's the, that's what they were facing. Right. That's the uphill battle they were facing. And a lot of they, the church also had like a Christian school and every single teacher that they hired, I mean, every one of them was like a graduate of Pensacola Christian college, right. which has its own set of problems. Right. Um, less admittedly less so than some of the other colleges we could name, but still has its own share. Yes, absolutely. So that was what that church was dealing with, but I, I still believed in it and thought that um, I wanted to be a part of it. And so we, I joined and, um, but it was, dude, I was a square peg in a round hole there. Right. I just, I didn't wear a suit and tie to church on Sundays. I, I just, I don't, I never saw the point in that. And I just right. didn't. And um, I was a Calvinist. I was not a KJV onlyist. I had my English standard version Reformation study Bible. Um, <laughs> I, I just did not fit in there. Um, I, the people were nice. I was good to them. They were good to me and they were friendly and everything was fine. And I, I made friends there. And it, but ultimately I was, and I, on my, I was still studying theology on my own. I still right. was. Um, and that's when I actually came to uh, studying the, uh, I decided I wanted to do a study into the Bible. Like, <laughs> like the history of the Bible. Where does the Bible come from? Why the 66 books of the Bible? Why does the Bible have 66 books or letters? Why is there 39 in the Old Testament? Why are there 27 in the New Testament? What was the criteria for putting the 27 in the New Testament? What books were left out that didn't get put in? All that stuff. Um, And that and a few other things um, basically are the reason why I no longer attend church because I, ultimately I came to the conclusion that the Bible, the most central doctrine of Christianity, and I don't mean to get off on this, but I, you, since you asked, I just thought I'd yeah. let you know. Um, the most central doctrine of Christianity, I think you'll agree, is infallibility of Scripture. Right. Um, everything rises and falls on that. And if the Scripture is not, and you hear even independent Baptist preachers saying that this book, if one bit of this book is wrong, I'm going to the house. It's we need the, to pack it up. It's the one the one word that made me laugh as a teenager. If one jot or tittle of this Bible is not here. <laughs> yes, right. So ultimately, like my study into the New Testament, I just I just had to come to the conclusion that like I don't I, I don't know that I can say that it's the word of God at, right. at the end of the day. And so the most central doctrine I, so I'm out. Um, that in culmination with a few other things. Um, 
not the least of which is like the worship of America and all this other garbage. Well, that's that's exactly when you say a few other things, knowing you personally for these last couple of years and having had some very random at all hours of the day, like audio chats and such. Um, one of the big things that um, I guess surprised me, startled me, I guess, when I first started talking to you was a lot of our political discussions um, because um, – you, I think you were, you're probably the first like non-Republican Christian that I had ever encountered in my life when we first started talking. And, um, it kind that kind of shook me not to the point. I mean, we kept up in conversation, um, but it was really interesting to me. And, um, when I was getting ready to talk with you, like, I know this is a little bit of a different conversation. Um, but you know, when, when the election happened with Trump and I'm just going to say this to all the listeners right now, because I know there's going to be, I know there's going to be people that are going to be upset. I'm saying this, um, this is just my own personal view for some of this. Some of this I do believe to be true. Um, you know, and we aren't typically going to go into these subjects, but just with the nature of this conversation, I feel like it's important to, um, so if you don't like this guys, uh, just skip ahead to the next, <laughs> next episode. Um, I'm going to dive into this really quick, but, um, what I will say about this, and I think everyone will agree that Trump is not a, well, maybe, maybe not every Christian would agree with this, but Trump is not the idyllic version of a Christian that you would think of. Um, and now that I think about, it, there's a lot of people who disagree with me on that. Um, but when Trump, when Trump was elected, I remember when the, when the tapes were released, um, with Trump saying, you know, language that you could hear in certain corners of IFB churches, apparently. But when Trump would say things like, you know, I'm automatically attracted to beautiful. I just start kissing them. It's like a magnet. You just kiss. I don't even wait. And when you're a star, they let you do it. You can do anything. Whatever you want. Grab them by the pussy. <laughs> I can do anything. I just remember all the news outlets and all the organizations saying, how are evangelicals still going to support Trump? And then when he was elected after saying that now, we're not getting into the whole conversation about his actual political views, but just with statements like what he was documented to say and his track record, there the question did keep coming up. How can evangelicals back someone who talks like this? He doesn't talk like a Christian. He doesn't talk like an evangelical. He doesn't talk like any of these things. And then when he was elected, there was even more shock. Like the majority of his supporters are evangelicals. This is so shocking. And I just remember sitting there thinking, white evangelicals, yes, and I just remember sitting there thinking, this isn't shocking at all. Like, this is the exact same, the, the guy's attitude is exactly what we've become accustomed to in the pulpit. And when you start doing it, the, at that time, I'd already researched guys like Jack Hiles and things. And like, these guys were doing all the things that Trump was bragging about doing on national TV. And so, you know, you were one of the few people I felt I could talk to who shared my opinions on this and shared my, my beliefs about this stuff. And so I guess I do want to circle back to your conversation about IFB churches fostering this very idolatrous for lack of a better word relationship with the U S of a and nine, I guess 1950s idyllic American family values, Christianity, so on and so forth. I guess, can you just talk about that? And just when, when did that start 
happening? When did you start noticing like, hey, we're not voting in accordance with what we say we believe? Just a really um, brief overview of my upbringing. The church I went to um, growing up had a really unhealthy, I didn't know it at the time, but a really unhealthy infatuation with the United States. Um, we had, well, rural white American culture in, yeah, rural right. white American culture. Um, we, you know, 4th of July, the Sunday at closest to the 4th of July, it was, we would, oh, we wouldn't sing hymns. We would only sing like patriotic songs. Right. Battle Hymn of the Republic and My Country Tis Thee and that kind of stuff. And the sermon would inevitably be about the United States and how we need to get back. And uh, what's the, what's the chapter and verse everyone uses? Um, if, uh, if my people will humble themselves and pray, there's even a song. If my people will humble themselves and pray. Then I will heal their land. And that's the only time I'll ever sing on the podcast. You're welcome, everybody. <laughs> but that, that verse has nothing to do with the United States of America. Right. Nothing. But that was every inevitably 4th of July Sunday. That's what they would preach about, that sort of thing. Like the United States needs to get back to the Judeo-Christian values on which they were founded and with John Jay and Ben Franklin and George Washington, you know, all those good Christians. Right. You know, Thomas Jefferson and all that stuff. And Veterans Day would be the same thing. Memorial Day would be the same thing. And I remember one time at the church I grew up in, we even had a John Wayne impersonator come and preach <laughs> at my church. Right. You can't get more American than that. No. And like, did they not do this in the UK? <laughs> no, they didn't. <laughs> in fact, uh, my church was obsessed with like things like Andy Griffith. Um, Hey, no hate on Andy. I like Andy Griffith. I love Andy Griffith. It's a great show, but come on, man. Like it, that's, that's what my church just desired. It was just right. like, they had, I had no knowledge of theology, but I knew that America was going to hell in a handbasket. We need to get back to our Judeo Christian values. That, I knew that. Oh, people are going to get so mad at this episode. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I, I don't, I mean, it's, but it's, the, it's the truth. I don't right. It's and then I moved to the United Kingdom, and everything I was told turned out to be completely false. Right. So, you know, before I moved to the United Kingdom, I was a really big fan. I was a conservative evangelical. I was. I voted Republican. I voted for Bush the first time when I when I had the opportunity to. God, you are old. I didn't realize. (laughs) I know. I know. I loved him. I loved George Bush. And uh, looking back, I wish we had him every, you know, never mind. Right. Um, compared to this guy we have in now. But I loved Bill Riley. I watched the O'Reilly Factor every night. Right. And um, they would always say, like, universal health care was the devil. And it's, it's like the, you have, uh, what do they call them? Um, uh, death panels and the quality of care is terrible. No one ever right. gets seen. Then I moved to the United Kingdom. I'm shaking in my boots <laughs> right? over the fact of like, hoping you don't need a root canal and you end up dying overseas. Yeah. Right. Which, and, and, and uh, hopefully I don't get sick or injured. And then sure enough, I, w- I did get sick and, or I did get injured. And guess what? I went to the doctor and it was fine. 
I got, I went to the doctor. My, I didn't have to, I had gotten, I received no bill because it's, it's covered. Um, my prescription was like seven pounds, which at the time was like 12 bucks because that's how much all prescriptions are no matter what. Right. Um, and guess what? I had a root canal in the UK. I had a root canal and a crown and it, I was out of pocket like $200 and it's fine. It's like, I still have it. It's fine. It's right. And I, I thought well, everything I've been told about this is, is a lie. Everything right. completely false. And that's when like my political side side started to like come unraveled. Right. And I met people from different parts of the world. London is a very multicultural city. And I sort of learned the beauty of like being around people from different parts of the world. I had a really good friend from Jordan. A lot of the people in our church were from um, the Philippines. Some people in our church from Italy and Bulgaria, South Africa, Moldova. I, I mean, I could go on. Right. And they were just the most amazing people. But isn't that something though? Like even, you know, like... I went to a very, and, th- and this speaks more to just being isolated in your, wherever you grew up for a long time is like the minute you start traveling and just meeting other people who have other life experience that has such a, if you allow it to, that can be such a life changing thing to happen. Like to meet someone from Jordan and talk to them, to sit down with someone who, you know, like, there's so many people that have such strong opinions about every single Muslim. And it's like, and it's like, well, I can say I've sat down and talked to someone who's a Muslim. Can you say that? And it's like, no, do you know one? No. Have you ever met one? No. <laughs> it's like, maybe you should uh, meet some people before you broad brush an entire group of people. Mark Twain once said that um, travel is fatal to prejudice, bigotry, and narrow-mindedness, and many of our people need it sorely on these accounts. I've broad, never heard. Wholesome, and he said, broad, wholesome, charitable views of men and things cannot be acquired by vegetating in one little corner of the earth all one's lifetime. I've never heard that, but I love that quote. Uh, and he's absolutely right. I was, I am a, I have to admit before I moved to the UK and before I, I was, I was again, man, I don't know. I, that's the gr- background I grew up in. I was very pro American, pro rural white American culture. I just was. Right. And travel was the death knell and all that stuff. I am proud to say I'm very happy about that. I'm not proud of what I once was when it comes to that kind of stuff, but I think, I think this segues into the question that I, that I have up next here. And that's, it's the question that I asked before I dive in the last question every episode. And that's, if you could say to someone who's sitting in the pew, I'm, I'm going to alter this a little bit for for your sake, but someone who's sitting in a pew and their only experience is, you know, basically what the pastor said to them. And then they take that and run with it. What would you say to someone sitting in the pew who hasn't, ever studied on their own. I don't want to feed into your answer too much, but I think you've been hitting on this throughout the episode of the importance of seeking the truth out for yourself. So I guess, I guess I want you to hit on like, how would you encourage people to go about that journey of, of testing what it is that they've been taught and believe? Well, it's tough, man, because I, I, 
I, I don't know. I mean, probably someone who's sitting in that pew and it's listening to that stuff is probably buying into it. Um, well, and they probably tuned out of this episode. <laughs> yeah. And they probably tuned out of this episode. I mean, it's not a coincidence that 80% of white even like 80% plus of white evangelicals support Donald Trump. Right. I mean, come on, man. There's, there's no way that anyone can look at that man and say that that is, that is a person that's upholding Christian values. There's no way. Right. There's no way that you are getting, you are coming to that conclusion. There's no way. And so, I, I mean, I don't know what you, what to say other than like, man, you really just need to start talking to some people that are, that don't look like you and don't think like you, and you need to have an open mind when you do it. Well, and, and I think, I think it's a good point to say as well to everybody listening is like when, when we say that and, and, and I've hit this, I didn't intend to hit this on every episode, but it seems like we always circle back to, and it's partially because I've opened this up to so many, I've had Christians on, I have an apologist coming on. I have a a pastor who became an atheist coming on the show soon. I have people who are not involved in the church world at all coming on. And the reason I have such a broad variety of people on the show is because I believe that you can learn something from everybody. And I believe that if we if we are truly seeking truth, whether that's truth regarding abuse within the independent Baptist movement, whether it's truth regarding who God is, whether it's truth regarding what the church should be, what we should be as human beings, that that cannot be a conversation that we have in a bubble. And if the truth is out there, which I think that, you know, we all believe that some form of truth is out there, then no amount of conversation or discussion is going to hurt the truth. The truth is at the end of the day, going to stand strong and be the truth. And so that's where like, it it saddens me to know that there will be some people who tune out of this episode before we even get to this point of the episode. But like people need to understand, like you and I can sit down and have this conversation and I can agree with certain points. I can disagree with certain points. You probably have things you see me do that you disagree with, but we can sit down and identify like areas where we have common ground. And that's something that IFB culture doesn't allow you to do. It doesn't allow you to talk to someone. One of the things that, that startled me when I, when I keep saying startled, I feel like this is most of us that startled in a day. Um, but when I, when I first started, um, and you'll laugh at this as well, but like when I first started watching James white debate people, and I just remember like thinking like people debate topics People debate King James onlyism in a in a calm, collected, formal way. People debate like soteriology and eschatology in calm, calculated ways, and still consider each other like good people. <laughs> and in a, I think that's such an important thing that's missing. Like you'll never see West Coast Baptist College bring someone in to debate King James onlyism. You would never see them bring someone in to debate any of that stuff because their job is to clone themselves and that's it. Right. And, and so, so what I was going to say with regards to like IFB culture and like, like how many African Americans do you know that are independent fundamental Baptists? I mean, I know, I know probably a lot more than you do from your, your context, but I can think of is like Kenny Baldwin. Right. Who's that? Who's he? Think he's a pastor outside of uh, Washington D.C. I mean, he comes to mind immediately. Um, but aside from that, it just doesn't. In my part of the world, it just doesn't exist, man. Right. It's just. Well, like I said, like even that—that's a cultural 
like you're in a totally different culture. Like, you know, so that's one area where like, I don't have a lot of, I definitely see it within the leadership more so. Um, like I see the leadership being white male, like boys club, like all came from the same area, talk the same. Um, but, but my culture was just different in that. Like it was majority like black Hispanic, like being white, you were kind of like the, like minority out here. <laughs> so, but, um, but yeah, I think that's interesting. I mean, like, again, that's something we're getting out and just talking to you. I never would have been like, Oh, racism. You know what I mean? Like when, when talking about, you know what I mean? <laughs> so yeah, dude, it's, it's, it was, it's hip deep in my, in this part of the world. Um, and especially like some of these, like Bob Jones university had, uh, interracial marriage was, um, not allowed at the school until what? 2003. Uh, why, why explain this? Why they can't date? Well, being a Bible believing institution, Larry, we try to base things on Bible principle. The problem we have today is that our, our principle is so greatly misunderstood. People think we don't let them date because we're racist. No, to be racist, you have to treat people differently. We don't. We don't let them date because we were trying, as an example, to enforce something, a uh, principle that is much greater than this. We stand against the one world government, against the coming world of Antichrist, which is a one world system, a blending of all differences, a blending of national differences, economic differences, church differences, into a big one ecumenical world. Okay, the Bible's very clear about this. We said, you know, way back years ago when we first had a problem, which was, by the way, we started this principle back in the mid-50s. I was a college student at BJU at the time, and it was with an Asian and Caucasian. We didn't even have black students for another 15 years. So it was not put there as a black thing. I think so people so need to understand that. So the one world relates back to two people dating? Yeah. We realize that an interracial marriage is not going to bring in the world the Antichrist by any means. But if we as Christians stand for Christ and not Antichrist, and we see you know, we're against the one world church. We're against uh, uh, one economy, one political system. We see what the Bible says about this. So we say, okay, if they're going to blend this world and interracial marriage is a genetic blending, which is a very definite sort of blending, we said, as, let's put this policy in here because we're against the one world church. And way back 17 years ago when I was on your program, I was saying on programs all across America, we're not going to the Supreme Court fighting for our rule and our policy. We're fighting for our right to it. There's a religious freedom issue. That's all we, we are ever You're a private institution. You yeah. don't get the tax benefit because, yeah. but you are entitled to the thing. I'm trying to find right. out why you have the yes. rule. We have the rule because it was a part of a bigger, it was a, it wasn't the rule itself. We, 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 we can't point to a verse in the Bible that says you shouldn't date or marry. You interracial. can't back it up. No, we can't back it up with a verse in the Bible. We never have tried to. We never have tried to do that. But we said there is a principle here, an overriding principle, the one world government. Let me, let me tell you how insignificant this is. <laughs> students never hear it preached. There have been four, five, six generations of students that graduated from there have never heard this preached in our chapel or taught in our school. It, to us, it's but the it's most... But it's a rule, though. They it know is they a rule. Can. It is. But it's the most insignificant thing. But now, 
we're being defined as a racist school. I mean, that's all the media well, talks uh, about. Partly, dur during the era, you know, the era of segregation, segregationists said, well, we're not racist. We just think the races should be apart. They should mm -hmm. be treated equally, but not together. And that was regarded as a kind of a cop-out. Mm -hmm. well, maybe, I mean, you could change that. You think it's a stretch, maybe. In other words, have you given thought to maybe that's taking it too far? Down to two people into a whole one-world concept. You know, I don't think it's taking it too far, but I can tell you this. We don't have to have that rule. In fact, as of today, we've dropped the rule. We've dropped the rule for this reason. Today? Today. I met with the administrators this afternoon before coming here. But let me tell you why we dropped it. We don't want this to be a stomach. Here's a great institution. One of the premier academic institutions in America. One of the premier Christian colleges in America. We have a broader testimony. And if all anybody can see is this rule, which we never talk about or preach, which most of our students couldn't even tell you what it is. It's that unimportant to us. I said to our administration, you know, guys, this thing is of such insignificance to us. It's so significant to the world at large, the media particularly. Why should we have this here as an obstacle? It hurts our graduates. We love our graduates greatly. It hurts maybe the church as well. And I don't want to hurt the church in, of Jesus Christ. It's involved in a presidential race. It's involved in a presidential You've race. You've caused a presidential candidate to write a letter to a cardinal. Yeah, well, I'll get to that. Did that. Okay. okay, but, but it, I want to tell ended. you, it, it is ended. I, I want it to be very clear why it is ended. Our concern for the cause of Christ, our concern for our graduates, our concern for our testimony, our concern for the school's broader usefulness is greater to us than a rule that we never talk about and that is meaningless to us. The principle upon which it's based is very, very important, I but the rule itself is not. So we did away with it. Gone today. Yes. Dr. Bob Jones III, President Bob Jones University. He's the guest. Don't go away. And I believe it was, um, I'll check this really quick, but Paul Chappell had sent out a memo in 2007, I believe. I'll put a link to it in the show notes just that way. Like no one's like, well, it was 2006. So things have changed. Um, but he sent out a memo uh, within the last like couple years um, and he warned against being unequally yoked. And one of the relationship types that he described as unequally yoked was what he deemed, quote, exotic relationships, which was relationships between people of two different racial or ethnic backgrounds. And he said these relationships, while sometimes permissible, must only be pursued when you um, when you have the counsel of several people, including your parents and pastor, which is like as racist as you can get. But but we don't talk about it. No, that's a, of course it is. I mean, that, that kind of stuff is just so vile. And by the way, um, if you're a Bible believer, um, that is the complete opposite of what the Bible teaches. Right. right? Um, all God's people, um, every every man, woman, child is is a child of God, is a human. All humans have souls. They're all people. Right. And so there are no there is no Jew, no Gentile. There is no male or female. Right. There's only in Christ and outside of Christ, right? Is that Galatians, I think? Right. Um, yeah. So come on, man. It's, there's just no way that you're coming to that conclusion unless you just have sin and racism in your heart, which right. I imagine the overwhelming majority of people in these circles do. And honestly, that's, that was probably the last straw that pushed me out. Like the right. way that I saw um, people in 
that world speaking about um, immigrants coming from Central America right. and from Syria. I was out, dude. That was it. I- yeah, the, the refugee conversation was a difficult one for me. Um, and that, that was the same thing. It was, it was, you can't in one breath say, let's take 10 teenagers to a photo op missions trip. And I'm saying this as someone who worked, I had these feelings while working with a missions agency that was actually helping national pastors and orphans. And I just remember like, I would see people who supported our work helping national pastors and then would say, we don't want people who parentheses looked exactly like the people that they were supporting and taking credit for their success. We don't want those people coming into our country. And as someone who loved these countries and was traveling to these countries, spending time in places like Jordan, I mean, I, I, I spent a lunch with someone in Jordan who was a refugee out of Syria, who was a successful businessman, had a good life, like, and all of a sudden his area gets bombed and then he's stuck in limbo because the U S isn't accepting him into the country. And it's like, and then to see the hateful rhetoric, the minute you log on a Facebook from those countries is just crazy. But yeah, like, like look at the, uh, look at the language that that group has towards Ilhan Omar. Right. Right. The representative and from Minnesota I, and, or and, uh, AOC from New York. Like, and I'm not and a big fan. Back where you came from. No, I'm not crazy about these people yeah, either. But come on, man. They're human beings. Yes, absolutely. They're human beings. And when Trump, remember when he said, told them to go back where they came from? Right. Come on, man. What, yeah. what are you trying to communicate when you say that? Right. We all know what he's communicating. And everyone in that circle just rah, rah and cheered him. And right. so it's just completely disgusting to me. So I, I'm, and so I'm completely. We could, we could, we could definitely rabbit trail in that, in that direction for a while. Um, but um, I guess, I mean, so we've pointed out a lot of these issues and, and I'm curious to hear your answer to this. I mean, even though I think I know what it is at this point in the conversation, but do you believe that there is hope for any reform of the IFB movement and if so, what do you think it would take for that to happen? Um, if not, um, why do you believe that there's no hope for reform? Why do you think it needs to just be put to rest? The IFB movement, no, there's no hope for it. Now, you might have um, a church in the peripheral here and there that's doing good work and that is basically an anomaly. Solid. Yes. Right. Um, like I, like I said, the church that I started going to when I moved back to the U.S., right. I think the leadership there, I think they're good. They're well-intentioned. They genuinely care about people. They're, they're basically good. They're not racist. Right. Um, uh, and, you know, they're, they're doing the best they can. With what they have, with the, with the legacy that they're carrying. I think as long as a church um, focuses on... Um, the way people dress or is overly uh, given too much attention to the version of the Bible that you're using or worships America or like American culture of some sort. If the church is doing one of those three things or all three of them, because they're probably going to do all, if they're doing one, they're probably doing all three. Um, then there's no hope for that church. You that that that's not a church, man. You don't attend a church. You attend a country club 
where you are, are a safe space um, where people go that are like-minded um, right. and they can complain about uh, what AOC or Hillary or Barack Obama is doing or whatever. Right. Or um, vice versa. Or vice versa or whatever. Yeah. And I'm not I, going to a church and there's no, there's no hope for that church. Not zero. Right. Yeah. I think, I mean, um, I mean, yeah, I think that's, that's typically where I leave these, but I just want to say like, I think the, the core message here um, is really, you should be able to spend time with people who don't look exactly like you. And I think when you look at, when you look at controlling what people wear, what people say, do live like, and all these other things, you are just building yourself into a comfortable bubble for yourself. And that goes both ways. I've been to, I've I've seen churches where, you know, like a Trump supporter would never feel like loved or welcomed or accepted or someone who is a Democrat, I've, I've seen more of those just with the, the background that we're talking about, where someone who expresses a different political opinion would not feel welcomed. Um, but I think, like I said, I mean, I think it's just important to be able to have conversations and dialogue with like every episode of this podcast, there's been something I've disagreed with with everybody. And that's normal. If you talk to someone for an hour, you're going to have some, even if it's as minute, and most of them have been this, of... I wouldn't have said it quite like that. <laughs> you know what I mean? But, but I'm still going to have that dialogue. And I guess what I would, I don't usually leave these with a call to action, but I guess what I would just say is don't be afraid to engage with people who do disagree with you in some area or people who are different than you in some way. This idea of separation is so unbiblical. So like Jesus didn't do that. Jesus sat with people who were completely opposed to his message and would sit down with them and talk with them and converse with them. And so if that, if that's your role model, if that's the person who you look to as like your God, like, don't you see that he exemplifies that kind of living of reaching over to people who were not socially acceptable to reach over to. He would sit down with, he he didn't spend all his time just sitting in a temple talking with people who were like-minded about all things, (laughs) you know, and so, and I think you have to be, if you wouldn't mind, I, I yeah. think you have to be willing to speak to people without trying to convince them of something. Right. Just and that, listen to them. And that's been huge with this show. Yeah. So like, for instance, I, this is a really big issue for me because of just my background and where I live. Like racism is just, I think it's just permeating through our culture right. generally. I would challenge everyone to watch the film, all of my white friends and family and people that are listening to the show to go watch the film, I Am Not Your Negro. If any white man in the world says, give me liberty or give me death, the entire white world applauds. When a black man says exactly the same thing, he is judged a criminal and treated like one, and everything possible is done to make an example of this bad nigger so there won't be any more like him. The story of the Negro in America is the story of America. It is not a pretty story. Most of the white Americans I've ever encountered surely have nothing whatever against Negroes. That's really not the question. Really a kind of apathy and ignorance. You don't know what's happening on the other side of the world because you don't want to know. In America, I was free only in battle, never free to rest. We need to take action, any kind of action, by any means necessary. They needed us to speak to Cotton 
And now they don't need us anymore. Now they don't need us, they're gonna kill us all off. There are days when you wonder what your role is in this country and what your future is in it. I can't be a pessimist because I'm alive. The question you've got to ask yourself, the white population of this country has got to ask itself, is why it was necessary to have a nigger in the first place. Because I'm not a nigger. I'm a man. But if you think I'm a nigger, it means you need it. And you've got to find out why. And the future of the country depends on that. Did you watch that? I haven't yet. It's it's based on the book by James Baldwin. I, I've I'm familiar. I've seen the trailer and stuff, and it looks good. I just haven't. I'm I'm horrible with keeping up with that stuff. Which, just just I I would just encourage people to watch it. It's on Netflix right. or Amazon Prime, and just watch it and listen to it with an open mind. And if that triggers you, I if you watch it and it and you find yourself getting annoyed or triggered, I would then stop and ask yourself. Why is this annoying me? Mm, yeah. and why is this triggering me? Do I need to do some introspection here? And, and, and do I have racism in my heart? Because you very well may. Um, and I think it's a good starting point, like something like that. And just understanding like the plight that people who don't look like you, what they have dealt with through the history, what their parents, what their grandparents have dealt with. Right. Um, without trying to convince them, oh, but slavery knows, doesn't exist anymore, and Jim Crow laws aren't—they don't exist anymore either. Yes, but just would you just stop for a minute and just right. listen to what they have to say? That's all, really. That's my big point about that. Well, that's awesome. Well, um, yeah, I know this was not a—I uh, know this wasn't a typical episode, but I think I think it was a good conversation, and I hope that you know. I hope that others who are listening to it see some of these points as well and, uh, and really take something out of this. Um, again, I don't expect you to come out there says podcast agreeing with me on everything. And, and frankly, I don't think I said anything that reveals where I'm at on any particular issue. Um, but that's not what the purpose of this show is. Um, but I, I really appreciate everyone who's listened, who's stuck in this far. Um, so we've kind of tackled some of these topics. Um, and you know, Joe, I appreciate you jumping in and offering this perspective. Um, and I, you know, I think although this didn't specifically deal with abuse, I do think that a lot of the attitudes and mindsets that we talked about are, and, and even theology that we talked about are beliefs that help facilitate abuse, help facilitate alienating certain people, groups, certain people, and so I think this is a good conversation to have in conjunction with the, the normal podcast. So um, thank you guys for listening, Joe. Thank you so much for coming on. Is there anything else you want to add before we sign it off? No, I don't think so. I think that, I think we pretty well covered it, but I appreciate you uh, having me. For sure. All right, guys, we'll see you in the next episode. Thank you for listening to the Preacher Boys podcast. If you appreciated the content on the show, Please leave a review on iTunes and don't forget to connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter with the handle at Preacher Boys Doc. Additional information can always be found on PreacherBoysDoc.com.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.